am so thankful for our entire worship ministry, especially this past week. They were here leading us in worship Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, in addition uh, to all the faithfulness uh, that they do each and every week. So I really appreciate them. Amen. Y'all appreciate them for all their hard work. Praise the Lord. I also appreciate you, and I appreciate uh, how you showed up for our summit uh, this past week. It went really, really great. I'm also mostly appreciative of Jesus and for what he's done for us. And he's the one that we're here to worship. And I'm thankful for what he did in our hearts and our lives this past week during our summit. I pray that he's going to do something amazing in your life today. We know he's capable. We know that our God is capable of doing incredible, mighty, and awesome deeds. We see it in his word. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We're going to see it in the passage that we're going to read today in Luke chapter 8. We're going to see how Jesus does something amazing in the lives of two individuals. Uh, usually each week as we have been kind of making our way through the gospel of Luke and looking at these healing miracles, usually we'll just, we'll just look at one miracle. Uh, today we're going, to, we're going to see two miracles performed uh, really almost simultaneously and at the same time. We're going to read uh, about a guy named Jairus who was a synagogue ruler and we're also going to read about an unnamed woman in scripture uh, and what, the, what Jesus did for her. Uh, first I want to start by pointing out something that I think is pretty evident to all of us as we just consider life. And that is, uh, whenever you're under stress, whenever bad things happen, whenever you're in hard situations, it, it, it kind of reveals your character. It kind of shows what you are on the inside. I have quoted my mama several times. You've heard me before saying one, one of the things that she taught me growing up says whenever you're bumped, whatever spills out is what you're full of. And I think that's a general principle that we see in life. When you see hard times, stress, desperate times, it tends to open us up like a pop balloon. Almost like, you know how you see how a lot of, uh, a lot of parents or, or soon-to-be parents, they'll do gender reveals and they'll stuff a balloon with confetti and then they'll pop that balloon and either it's blue or either it's pink and it kind of it reveals the gender of the upcoming child. That's what hard times does to us in a spiritual way. The, the same thing that's true in life when you're under stress and it shows your character, it's the same thing in our spiritual life. When, when you're under stress, when you're in a hard time, when you're in difficult circumstances, and when that, when that balloon pops, it shows, it, sh it shows who you truly are spiritually. Do you have faith in God or, or do you not? I think hard times reveal that inside of us. Hard times kind of show that and demonstrate that to us. And we're going to see uh, these desperate, this desperate situation that two people were in. That's the title of my message, is desperation. That's, that's what we see just kind of coming out of the hearts of these two people who receive a significant miracle from Jesus. They were in a desperate situation, but their hearts were brimming and bubbling with faith and anticipation and trust that Jesus was going to do something significant for them. So I want to ask you to stand with me as we read this passage together in Luke chapter 8. Uh, Luke chapter 8, uh, starting in verse, uh, in verse 40. It says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, 
who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him, he begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter who was about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Now, uh, Matthew and, and other gospel writers says that she was saying in her heart, if I could, if I could just touch him. And it says, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who touched me? And all denied it. Peter said, Master, crowds are surrounding you, pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And the one, when the woman saw, she was not hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had immediately been healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Father, we believe that you have the power over disease, and that you have the power over death. And we invoke the name of Jesus, and we ask that power to be alive in us. And Lord, if it be your will, that it would be alive in the situations around us, desperate situations that we find ourselves in. You are our only hope, and we call upon you for salvation. And it's in your name that we pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated today. This is a story about disease and death and how Jesus overcame it. We see all throughout Scripture that our God has the power over disease and that our God has the power over death. Uh, interestingly enough, that's something that seems to surround us all the time. As we live this life, we see disease. You know someone right now that has some type of disease, some type of sickness, some type of ailment. You know someone around you, or at least know someone around you, that has recently had someone that has died or has someone that has passed away. It's very likely that you probably know someone, or maybe you yourself, um, uh, have someone close to you that has a sickness and that might be on the verge of death. The Bible tells us and the Bible shows to us and the Bible demonstrates to us that Jesus has power over sickness, Jesus has power over disease, Jesus has power over death. 
It doesn't mean that in every situation of life that, that we're going to receive healing, but we know that the reason, one of the main reasons that Jesus did these miracles is to teach us and to show us that ultimately he is going to completely and absolutely save us from these things. You will find you in a de yourself in a, de in a desperate situation at some point in your life. To whom will you turn? Who will you yearn for and long for? Will you turn to Jesus or will you take matters into your own hands? This is a story about two people who were in an extremely desperate situation and they sought Jesus. The first one is a guy named Jairus. Is that how y'all pronounce his name? I kept wanting to say Jarius, and then I realized the I came before the R, and then I, I've been trying to say all kinds of stuff, but it's Jairus, right? Is that how y'all say it? All right, just making sure I'm getting it right. And by the way, the first service agrees with you as well. The first one is a guy named Jairus, a synagogue ruler. Now, this was a pretty dignified individual. Uh, this was a guy that, um, I mean, he didn't just run a church, so to speak. He had a lot of influence and, to be totally transparent, a lot of power over people in whatever community that his synagogue served. He was likely a man of wealth. Uh, he was uh, definitely very well known. Probably everybody knew him that lived around this particular synagogue. His peers, the people that he was close to, did not like Jesus. I think it would be safe to say that he hung out with crowds uh, who were enemies of Jesus. But he finds himself in a desperate situation, and Jesus was the only person that he felt like he could turn to. What was this desperate situation? Luke chapter 8, verse 42. It says he had one daughter, an only daughter, and she was dying. Now listen, I've got two daughters. One's 11, one's 14. I can imagine that this would create all types of desperation inside of me if one of my children was in this particular position. Some of you here today might know what that feels like. Maybe you can identify uh, with, with, uh, with Jairus a, a lot more closely than the rest of us can. But all of us, if we place ourselves in this story, we can just feel and sense the desperation uh, that he must have had. I mean, after all, what, what would you do for your would you what would you do for your children, or what would you not do for your children? I mean, you would do you would do anything. You would even uh, become undignified if that's what needed to happen. And we see this this guy Jairus, a very dignified, respected member of the community. We see him do something very what you and I might would consider undignified in chapter 41. The Bible says that he fell at Jesus' feet and implored him. He begged him. When was, when was the last time you fell at someone's feet? When was the last time that you begged someone with such desperation? When was the last time you were in a situation where you were so desperate, you didn't care how undignified that you were, you didn't care that all of your friends were going to look down upon you. I don't think that uh, Jairus cared one bit that he could lose his position in the synagogue. I don't think he cared one bit that he could, that he could potentially lose all of his friends, that he could lose everything. The only thing that he cared about was just that there was a chance that Jesus could heal his daughter. No, no amount of risk, and this was pretty risky for him, no amount of risk mattered. 
And when you're desperate, you'll take risks. When you have a real problem that creates desperation in your soul, what do you do? Do you run to Jesus or do you take matters into your own hands? Uh, Jairus, he ran to Jesus. Back to him in a minute. Now we have this other person that's almost like inserted into the story, but it's still very much an integral part of the story. We have an unnamed woman who had some type of hemorrhage. Uh, The Bible says that she had a discharge of blood. This was a pretty major medical need. Uh, medical science doesn't, uh, didn't know then what medical science knows now. And there's, this, this could have been extremely serious for her just from a medical standpoint. But it was bigger than that. It wasn't, it wasn't just that she had a medical problem. She also uh, had a social problem because she was a social outcast and people didn't want to come. She was one of these untouchables that I've talked about in, in previous weeks. And she also had a spiritual problem. Maybe we could call it an emotional problem. Because she was considered defiled, people looked down upon her as an untouchable. People would look at her as if, you know, it's not that you just have a medical problem. You have a spiritual problem, and your spiritual problem, your physical malady is is, is such to where we don't even want to be around you. You were an outcast. She couldn't worship in the synagogue. She couldn't go to the temple. No one was allowed to touch her. And if she touched other people, there there could potentially be a penalty of death if she touched people intentionally. And here she is squeezing through this crowd, taking taking this risk, trying to get to Jesus. And she did. She, she, she squeezes through and she makes her way. And in other parts of the Bible, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's uh, Matthew or Mark that tells the story. It basically tells us that in her heart, that she was, she was saying in her heart, if I could just touch something that has touched him. There's some irony in this because people were not allowed to touch anything that she had touched. So if she had touched a spoon, people were not allowed to touch it or they would become defiled. And now here she is saying, if I could just touch something that has touched him or touch something that is touching him, then I could, I could find healing. And, and there was this faith that was just bubbling over uh, from in, inside of her. Now listen, we can, we can relate to this, this, this whole untouchable thing. Y'all remember how things were during COVID, right? Man. If you coughed in front of people in 2020, everybody was like, you know, was like scooting away from you. I remember when I went to the grocery store and they put up these shields in, uh, in, in Food Line. Y'all remember those shields? And I remember, I, I remember the first time I walked in, they put those shields. I was like, man, they got shields up. And the little girl behind the counter, she talked to like, like this. She told me what my total was. And I could not hear her. So I'm like coming around the shield and she's like drawing back, you know, as I'm, I mean, we understand this whole untouchable thing. Uh, you know, do you shake hands? Do you fist bump? Uh, a thumbs up? I mean, how, how, do, how do we handle this thing? Now multiply that by the fact that it wasn't just the physical problem. It was the spiritual problem that people drew back from her. You have a, you're unclean, you're defiled. And the Bible says, that Jesus, in verse 45, 
he turns around after she, after she touches him and she's healed. Jesus turns around in verse 45 and he says, hold on, time out, who touched me? I mean, everybody had touched him. I mean, Jesus himself is squeezing through this crowd. The Bible, the Bible, uh, 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 the Bible tells us in the very opening verse that they were uh, that they were pressing around him and that they were waiting for uh, uh, were waiting for him and pressing around him, trying to get everybody. And Peter even said that. Peter said, "What do you mean? Every, everybody touched?" He goes, "No, there's somebody that touched me in a way that they received a blessing. Power went out from me." And as you can imagine, this woman just trembling, and, and she comes before him, and, and she says, you know, I'm the one that did it. Now listen, last night, and I have to, I have, to have Matt Wilson to thank for this. Last night, um, I, I watched the, the, um, uh, the episode of The Chosen that described this, and there was something about it that just this really struck me. Now this, this doesn't say this in the text, but they take a little artistic license and, and in, in this particular episode, it showed this woman on the ground and the whole crowd of people around her. And it so, showed Jesus come up to her and call her daughter, you know, not just, hey, woman, or hey, you, but call her daughter, identify with her. And it shows him, he reached down and he, he, grabs, her by, he grabs her by the face. He touches, he touches the untouchable. And he said something. He said, I am so glad we found each other. And I can, I can picture this, I, I can picture it being something like that, where Jesus, Jesus, he, he touches, he touches this, this untouchable person. And he, he does more than just restore her physically. He does more than just heal her in a physical way. He restored her publicly in front of all those people who considered her a social outcast and unclean. He restored her in a public way by healing her in a way that everybody saw it. But he also restored her in a spiritual way. Whenever he said, your faith has made you well. And he restored her also, I guess you could say this also, he restored her in a spiritual way, more like in a relational way. Whenever he called her daughter and identified with her, he, re he, he restored her completely. Now back, now back to Jairus, what, what was going on in his mind? Now remember, his daughter's dying, and he's going through this traffic jam of people trying to squeeze through them. Uh, his daughter is in his final moments. His last hope is coming to get Jesus. He's, he's probably, now this text doesn't say this. The, the text says that at one point he was gripped with fear. But I can imagine as I insert myself into that story that I would have been pretty impatient. I mean, after all, that's the way I drive in traffic jams, right? Y'all just get out of my way. I mean, come on now, you feel it. Y'all move, everybody move. I'm late for church, I gotta preach. Y'all get out of the way. Um, he's, he's trying to make his way through this traffic jam of people. And then Jesus has a side conversation with a woman who is a lot lower on the social scale than he is. I wonder what was going on in his mind. And I have to assume that maybe he was being a little bit impatient, or at least he could have been. Maybe I'm, I don't want to project too much back upon the text. 
But then, as Jesus is having this conversation with this woman, as he heals her, as he restores her, somebody comes up to him and gives him the worst news imaginable. He says, your daughter has died. Now listen, struggling with words of comfort is something that all of us experience whenever we're trying to help people who are going through bad and horrible and desperate situations. Jesus always seems to be able to say the correct thing, and he always has the power to back it up. And he told him in verse 50, he said, don't fear, just believe. And then he goes, and I won't read all this to you, we read it a minute ago. He goes and he raises that child from the dead. And again, last night, probably the most powerful moment for me as I, as I was watching that last night um, is whenever he whispered into her ear and said, child, arise, and she opened her eyes and just the feeling on the parents. I mean, you put yourself in that situation and imagine Jesus doing these things. We serve a God who's able to do these things. We serve a God who is able to rid our bodies from disease. We serve a God who is able to raise the dead. Does he do it every time that we get sick? Does he do it every time that we face death? No, not, not every time. But the fact that he can do it shows that one day he will do it ultimately for every single one of us whenever we are restored to heaven with him and whenever he brings a new heaven and a new earth. But in the meantime, what can we learn from this? What can we learn from this in the meantime? Let me give you just a couple of points of application. Number one, desperate situations are opportunities to reach for Jesus. I think that in my own life, and you tell me if you, tell me if you kind of resonate with this, I kind of see sometimes when desperate situations, hard times come into my life, that I almost, I, 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 don't, I don't see them as opportunities. I, I see them as barriers. I see them as roadblocks. I see them, there, there is something that is in my way from me being able to do what I want to do in life or being able to be the, even maybe even being the person that God wants me to be in my life. I have a tendency to look at hardship as, as a barrier to my spiritual life and a barrier to my life in general. You know, the Bible doesn't picture hard times in that way. Everywhere we look and everywhere we see in Scripture, through, uh, through the situations that are described, as well as the teaching that is offered through the New Testament, everywhere we see in Scripture, we see that desperate situations, they're opportunities. Let me ask you a question. When you get to heaven and you go find Jairus, if you, if you were to ask him, if you were to say, hey, l- l- let me ask you a question. If you could go back, would you wish that your daughter never had gotten sick? What do you think he would say? I think he would say, no way. Man, I saw a miracle through this. If you were to go one day in heaven, if you were to go find this, this, this lady who had this major medical need and say, you know, if you could go back, could you, could you wish that maybe that would have never happened in your life? And I bet you would say the same thing. If you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you serve Jesus, I bet you you've had some hard, difficult things that have happened in your life, haven't you? I bet you've had some horrible things that have taken place. And God has been with you 
through that situation, and if I were to come up to you, and if I was to say to you, hey, do you wish that would have never happened in your life? Do you wish you would have never had that heart attack? Do you wish you would have never had that cancer? Do you wish you would have never had that accident? Do you wish that all these bad things would have never happened to you? More than likely, if you know Jesus and he walked with you in the midst of those circumstances, you would say to me, you know what? Those things were so hard. They were so hard. But Jesus was with me. He was there with me in those moments. And no, I would not trade those moments that I have with Jesus, that I had with him during those desperate situations. No, I would never want to go back and undo that. What is it that would make you so desperate that you would risk everything to pursue Jesus? Whatever it is, pray for it. You're thinking, pray for it? Pray, pray for those circumstances and situations in my life that would bring me pain and suffering and hardship? Now listen, I, I know that we don't pray for bad things to happen. Obviously, we don't, we don't, we don't pray for, for bad things to happen to uh, uh, to our children or to ourselves uh, and, uh, medical, medically or any other. We don't, we don't pray for those things. But maybe we should pray that God would do whatever he needs to do in our life to make us desperate for him. You see, your heart can be postured in desperation to God. I need you, God, more than anything. And I'm willing to give up anything. And I'm willing to turn my back on anything because I need you so desperately. Maybe we need to find a way to posture our hearts that way without bad things having to happen in our life. What, what if we just prayed? See, normally we pray for God to make things all good. What if we said, God, Create angst inside of me. Create a desire and a passion inside of me for you. Because here's the thing. If you've ever been saved, that's happened to you. If you've ever been saved, and that's what it means to be saved, it's coming to a point to where you cherish Christ above everything. And nothing else matters more than Him. And you call upon Him and cry out to Him in desperation because of your sin. That pattern is to repeat itself all throughout the Christian life. When something good happens in your life, you say, God, thank you for your blessings, but I'll hold them loosely because, Lord, I am desperate for you. When something horrible and terrible and bad happens in your life, you say, you know what, God, this is, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me, but, Lord, I'm desperate for you. Whether in the good or whether in the bad, it doesn't matter. Just like that song we sang at the beginning, I can't remember all the words. Whether the sun will shine, whether the rain will fall, I know that you are good, and this is the day you will make. Isn't that what the Lord wants in our hearts? For us to just rejoice in Him? Rain, shine, doesn't matter. Let's be desperate for Him. Number two, I'll go through these quickly. Be patient when in desperate situations. Oh, man, I hate this one. Can I just be honest with you? I hate this. I hate being patient. I do. I just asked my wife. She'll tell you. 
It's, it's like humility. I can't claim humility, but God's definitely humbled me in the past. It's the same with patience. It's like I'm, I'm learning patience, but I'm doing it in an impatient way. It's like, none, listen, when you're in a bad situation, when you're in a desperate situation, you know what we ask God to do? End it now. I want it over right now. God, please take it away. Please remove it from me. You know, God didn't do that for the Apostle Paul when he had some kind of thorn in his flesh. And unfortunately, this is just not how God works. I mean, if you look at Scripture and you see how God works, God tells us to be patient in suffering. He use, we use words like perseverance. Bible uses words like endurance. That there's, there's a, a certain amount of struggle. There's a certain amount of pain that is in the Lord's will for us. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die quickly. When Jesus suffered for our sins, it didn't happen quietly, and it didn't happen quickly. It was, it was agonizing for a while, and it's the same thing for us whenever we take up our cross. Whenever we take up our cross and follow Jesus, we have to be patient. I, I, don't, I don't know if Jairus was, was impatient, but I, I put myself in that situation, and I can see that. Number, number three, Jesus is accessible and available to all. Just real quickly. I mean, uh, both of these people in the story, two different people, both had equal access to Jesus. A lot that I could say about that. But this last one, this last one, in complicated circumstances, the gospel's still simple. Can you imagine how complicated this woman's life was? I mean, she had this medical issue that she had to navigate around and how difficult that was. She could hide it a little bit, but not a lot because everybody knew about it. Can you imagine how embarrassing it would be for everybody to know your business and your medical business? They didn't have HIPAA back then. And can you, can you imagine um, just being a social outcast, being, being spiritually looked down upon other people, not being able to, to, to go to the synagogue or to the church and to worship? You couldn't associate with anybody. You basically had to live off... Uh, by yourself. That's a pretty complicated situation. The same with Jairus, his daughter, and all of the situations surrounding that. But you know what? The gospel is so simple. Jesus basically told them the same exact thing. Two different people, two different situations, two different folks on the social scale, two completely situations. He basically told them the same thing. To Jairus, he said, just believe. Just believe. And to the woman, he said, your faith has healed you. You know, the gospel is always simple. It's always simple. We call on Jesus and we ask him to save us. And sometimes he saves us out of that circumstance. And sometimes he doesn't. But we need to ask him. We need to beg him. We need to ask the Lord to show up and to show out and to show his power in our circumstances. And, and we wanted to do it not just for our comfort, but for his glory. We need to ask the Lord to do these things among us. But we also, we ask Jesus to save us. Our, our faith saves us and we can always guarantee, we can always guarantee that if we don't know Jesus as Savior, when we call upon his name to save us, he will always save us in that way. He's promised to do that. Now let's stand and let's respond. Let's stand and let's respond to the Lord today.
I want to ask you to bow your heads. I want to ask you to close your eyes. And I want to ask you just to talk to the Lord about whatever's on your heart right now. If you'd like to come to the altar and pray, you can do that at this time. And Andy's going to lead us in a song in just a moment. If you'd like to come to the altar and pray at that time, you can do that too. But with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, I want you to spend some time just talking to the Lord right now and asking Him. Asking Him if you are truly desperate on the inside. Are you truly desperate for the Lord? It could be that in your heart right now, you couldn't care less about Jesus. You're just ready to go eat. You didn't really want to come here today. Your heart wasn't in it. Maybe someone forced you to come here today. You don't, you don't really care about Jesus. It could be that that's what's in your heart. I want to ask you to pray a dangerous prayer. Would you ask Jesus to make you desperate for him? There's one time that the apostles said, Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Pray a dangerous prayer. Say, Lord, soften my heart. Help me to love you. Help me to desire, to desire you. Maybe you need to call on Jesus and ask him to save you today. Perhaps you are in or have been in or will soon be in a very quickly upcoming desperate situation. And your temptation is only to look at the circumstance and not to look at the posture of your heart before God. The best shot you have at God doing something amazing in your circumstances is for your heart to be right with God. And that's what He wants. Would you posture yourself before Him and say, God, make me desperate for you. Help me, Lord, in my desperation to love you and serve you only. You pray to the Lord. If you want to come to the altar and pray, you can. Andy's going to lead us in a song. You talk to the Lord, however God might be leading you today. Let the Holy Spirit guide you.